Cape Talk, The Profile, on Late Nights. Now, when I discovered that my next guest would be spending a few days in Cape Town, I just knew that we had to get him onto the show. In the past few years, Lesejo Semenya has made a name for himself as the South African chef to watch. Born and raised in Soweto, he initially purchased, pursued sorry, a corporate career, but eventually realised that that wasn't for him and made the life-changing decision to follow his true passion food. Uh, fast forward a few years and his culinary career has skyrocketed with stints as a, job, a judge on Top Chef Africa, uh, his own culinary business and now a best-selling cookbook to his name. Lesejo is proving that he certainly can stand the heat uh, and that his true calling really is in the kitchen and it gives me great pleasure to welcome him to Cape Talk tonight. Lesejo, hello and welcome. <laughs> oh, you introduced me there, Kat. Hi Sarah, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Caught me off guard. Uh, and thanks for coming in because you, you are in Joburg most of the time. Yes, Joburg I'm is home. based and I grew up and I live. Everything of me is in Joburg. Yeah. Yeah. But you're down here for Wurtfies. <laughs> That's my Afrikaans. Has it improved in three years? No, not really. <laughs> and I do for 10 years at school and uh, yeah, I'm equally as bad. <laughs> Good. Yeah. You're down here for that though. You were there today. Mm-hmm. How was it? It was fascinating. Um Trying to talk about food from Soweto to a completely different audience who doesn't know anything that's in my book mm. and what I'm basing it on it was, it was interesting and it was a very warm and welcoming crowd. Um, I appreciated that and it also gave me an opportunity to try sell, um, a book to an audience that generally, um, I'm generalizing, but wouldn't look at it walking past a bookstore and think, okay, let me buy that book. Yeah. I mean, the title is not even in English. No. So. <laughs> What does it mean, by the way, Dijo? Literally means food. As is that what it means? That, yeah. Oh, okay. There we That's go. That's all it means. Simple. Done. Um, I want to ask you your earliest food memory, please. Mm. My earliest food memory? Wow. It will probably be in my grand's house. Um, they had those old welcome Dover stoves. Mm. Um, it's actually on the back cover of my book, My Grandmother's Stove. And it was a winter... Um, warm of the house, it was a geezer, it was the centerpiece of the house, and I think my earliest memory is her baking that stove. Sure. Um, she'd bake scones, she was a home ec teacher, and I don't know how she managed it, but I think that would be the memory I would have. And how much of a, what sort of role did food play? Because I'm a firm believer in that food, food holds memories, food holds personality, food holds a great deal that we Mm. might not really realize. But if I know that if I eat a certain dish or if I smell a certain food, it can take me straight back to a point. If I smell something, it reminds me of the time when I was living in Dubai and I could, there were lots of, you know, meze and hummus and da da Or if I'm somewhere else and it's, you know, bangers and mash growing up in the UK, it's, it they it holds memories. So, it does, yeah. what kind of what kind of impact did food have in your early life? Obviously, considerable. It did. Um, I always tell people, food is an emotional connector of people. If you think back to to how a lot of us are raised in um, black families, not, not even just black families, South African families, before the era of the cell phone, people just show up at your house. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't tell you they were coming, and f- somehow our mothers would put together a whole spread. Sunday lunches were a, a rainbow of colors on the table. To this day, we call it seven colors Sunday lunch. And every weekend in Johannesburg, there is a steady exodus of people 
convoying back mm-hmm. to the township. Mm-hmm. People get the food they remember mm. because you can't get it in the suburbs. So there's a, a connection that we have when it comes to food. And what I try to do in this book is show the emotional side. So you'll see there's a, a recipe, but there'll be a story before the recipe. Mm. We were story, we are storytellers as Africans. We, we sit around fires. We like to sit around the table. Um, now it's changed a bit where we sit in front of the TV, but um, generally people want to conversate when there's food around. And that is where you start building your connections. When you smell freshly baked scones, you remember your grand, for example, like I do. When you smell someone burning, just burning pop on the stove, you remember mm. um, your brother burning something in the kitchen and yelling at him. So everything that we we do with food is an emotional connection to a memory. And I try to, to do that as well in the book. But your journey to this point and to, to being a professional chef, a celebrity chef. No, please don't use that term. Isn't that the world's worst term? A oh celebrity Lord. chef. I'm never quite sure whether that means you're the celebrity and the chef or you are a chef for celebrities. No, earlier on at WordFest, I was being interviewed by Ruben um, Riffle. Mm. Um, and someone said, oh, two celebrity chefs. And we both rolled our eyes and we're like, nah. <laughs> so I don't think there's anyone, any chef who's called that term who actually likes it. I, no. Um, chefs tend to generally want to be known for good food and that is it. But we live in the era of um, putting people on a pedestal 100%. now. And literally we just make good food. That is it. I don't know where the celebrity chef comes from. It's, it's because it comes from our obsession with celebrity. <laughs> yeah, we want to yeah. put celebrity in front of in yeah. front of everything. If your face is on television or voices on radio, you're somehow you're a celebrity. Yeah, it's yeah. quite a strange yeah, phenomenon. It's been maybe in a future book where I'm ranting like Anthony Bourdain used to do. <laughs> I will I'll give away all the behind the scenes and what happens when you you start getting well known yeah. for for what you do. It is it's a surreal. It's a whole other world. But like I said, this, you didn't, your journey wasn't straight from, from, from home to here. No. Um, there was a corporate element of your life. There was. Um, when I was 20, um, there was a corporate event. Well, it's not an event, uh, a campaign mm. to, to hire students from around the country. And um, I was nosy at the time and I threw my name into the bin. Out of 12,000 students, they selected 50 students based on IQ tests and um, aptitude and whatnot. Mm. Um, and, I mean, when you're 20 and you're from the township and you see a paycheck offer, you are going to jump. You you won't even consider what it means or what life change is going to happen. You you jump at that. And 20 years old, I went from doing a BCom adverts marketing um, straight into corporate world. I became a process consultant, eventually a process engineer. But whilst I was in that career, I realized it wasn't for me. Wearing ties and suits and looking at PowerPoint slide shows and speaking the big English that our mm. politicians love, um, it wasn't for me. Mm. Um, and at one point, I was diagnosed with mild clinical depression. Mm. But we as um, people, we, we told that once you have a career, once you're earning a good salary, once you live in a good suburb, there's nothing else you should be 100%. craving in life. You've made it in life. And I was sitting there, not happy, and but I've got the things that people said should be making you happy. And the doctor said, no, you are literally depressed. We're going to put you on pills. You need to get better. I said, is there another option? And he was like, okay, it's either you take the pills or you change everything you do completely. And me being hard-headed decided, let me quit this life. I can't, <laughs> I can't be sitting in corporate anymore. And I quit um, being an engineer. I didn't know what I wanted to become. I didn't know where I was going to go. Mm. But I just knew I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. And 
I traveled South Africa for about nine months, and after that, it was during those um, travels that I decided, let me go study food. Um, let me keep myself busy that way. And what was the what was going to be kind of end game for you? Was it that because it, surely it can't be it can't have been this? No, not even close. Mm. <laughs> so the the concept, the idea, I've got a friend, Rufila Africa. And the idea was we would open a um, a company that specialized in hospitality. So it would be um, sort of like a boutique hotel and then there would be food. Mm. But I am I'm the type of person who is very, um, how can I put it in a nice way, um, stubborn and hard-headed. And I don't like being told. I don't want to start a business where a chef would tell me this is what I'm making. So I decided, let me actually go study food. The end goal wasn't to become a chef, though. Mm. It was just to understand food and what the background of making food was about. And I sit here today (laughs) of being called a chef. Uh, Yeah, it's a funny, funny journey. I mean, had you been cooking since since that point in in your grandmother's kitchen with your grandmother cooking scones on the stove? Had you you kind of followed a path of... Actually, I do love food. I do love cooking. And, and I mean, were you the go-to guy when it came to your social group of friends who were like, let's have horse cooking, let's go to him? Not, no. 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 <laughs> nope. <laughs> I wish I had a fairy tale story to yeah. say, five years old, I had a dream <laughs> that one day, I'd, no, not even. Um, Sarah, what would happen? I was a typical yuppie from Joburg, mm. living in a fancy townhouse. Whenever... Um, we did a dinner party, you'd buy food in, and maybe now and then I'll make a fancy sandwich. Oh, you were one of those. Jim I was one of those. I didn't oh. know what a five-star fine dining restaurant even looked like. Hmm. But I like going out. Um, growing up, seeing my dad in the kitchen and cooking wasn't a strange thing. And my brothers and I, on the weekends, it would be us cooking. And um, my parents would give us free leeway in the kitchen to do whatever we wanted. So it wasn't an odd thing to say I want to cook. But I wouldn't say it was a passion. I didn't dream about it. I didn't say I want to be like those people on TV. I mean, I love BBC food mm. and I loved watching um, the chef shows on TV like most guys. Um, it's a strange thing. Guys love those TV shows. but For they don't, sure. Yeah, they don't get in the kitchen though. But yeah. So I didn't know what I wanted to become. Um, but I became what I, I became. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the book. When, first of all, when did the idea for the book, whose idea was the book? Was it yours? Did you think, okay, this is something that I want to do now? I've made a bit of a name for myself. Did someone approach you and say, you should really do a book? <laughs> um, about five or six years ago, before Toby Somashlapi started Blackbird Books, mm. um, we started talking. She approached me and she was like, I need you to write a book. And it was before I'd started doing TV shows and, and built my brand up. I was like, no, man, tell you so. <laughs> a whole book. Do you know how much work that thing is? She was like, yes, you have the personality to put a book together. And I went to be so asked you to do something. There's also that element of... Um, <laughs> and she do doesn't it. just ask for anything no, simple. No, no, no. no, no. no. <laughs> There's some twist somewhere there. Mm. And um, I said, okay. And every year I'd talk to her and I'd like, um, okay, fine, I'm writing. And I wasn't writing a thing. Yeah. Um, and eventually she was like, look, you, you clearly don't want to write this book. But then she, she didn't give up on me. She, she spoke to a colleague, um, Nadia from Jakarta and Nadia, she, she doesn't give up either. Yeah. And she got a hold of me two years ago and said, okay, I'm not Tabby, so you're going to write this book. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, fine, fine. I'll write you a cookbook, but I want it to be the way I want it to be. Mm. Um, you're not going to dictate what it's going to look like. You're not going to dictate what I should put in it. I want it to be my own cookbook. And I want it to be a a story. 
I don't want it just to be turn a page recipe, recipe turn recipe. a page mm. recipe. No, um, I don't want it to be the norm of the type of chef cookbook that you get on the market. And she gave me the leeway and the freedom to do what I did. Are you proud of it? I am. I'm very proud of it. And I'm also mostly proud of the reception, um, mm. the way people relate to it. Um, it's almost as if people have been waiting for something that is put together very well, but they can relate to it. It's not overly done, whereas someone looks at a book and they're like, no, I don't want to try that. It's too complicated, which is what tends to happen with um, chef cuisine. People looking like, oh, it's pretty. Can you cook it for me instead of, oh, that looks cool. Let me try it at home and make it. And that is what I aimed for with this book. And the, the feedback on social media has been positive, and I'm mostly proud about that, people actually cooking what's in there. So for me, who is somebody, and I've said this on the show many, many times before, um, I'm very lucky that my other half does all the cooking in our house. <laughs> lucky I, um, you. Yeah, no, and I really, and he's he's a trained chef, actually, so I'm, I'm oh, really, wow. I'm doubly lucky. But if he didn't, I mean, he's he basically keeps me alive because I can't cook. What? I just, it's just never something, and I've, and you know, and I had a grandmother who was in the kitchen and was baked, but it just Mm -hmm. wasn't something that I ever geared, sort of lent towards. And I kind of, I got to university and, and thought, Oh, I'll just live on, you know, noodles for three years, which is essentially what I did. And and now as a 38-year-old, I now kind of think, that's a shame because I don't know how to make stuff. Mm. So if I pick up your book, will that change? I mean, if some, if, if he leaves me... Mm, <laughs> no, touch wood, that won't happen. Wood, but if something happens, he's posted overseas and I have to survive, could I do so with a copy of your book? I won't say yes because it's not a beginner's book. Um, ah, um, it's not a book for someone who does not cook completely okay. because there are ingredients in there that you're going to have to look for. But okay. it is accessible. It is not so highbrow that you won't understand what's going on. Okay. And because I tell the stories before the recipes, uh, people understand, okay, this is what he's done with this. Yeah. And the people understand the twists that I've put in there. They'll recognize the dishes, but there's... You do mix things up a bit in the book. Yeah, yeah, I Which do. is interesting to me. I have this mission and um, this belief that the next frontier is African food, not even South African, African Mm. food. I mean, if you think about it, um, Mexican food has been done, South American, North American, Asian. The last frontier in food in the world is African food. And it should be us African chefs who push it. And um, I want to show the... The amount of leeway you can actually get with our cuisine without losing the essence of it, but you can actually put twists on it as well. Do you feel, sorry to interrupt, do you ever feel that there's, that you, or have you felt that you have to, I don't want to use the term dumb down, but, but water down African food and food that you particularly would want to make to appeal to a more I'm trying so delicate. <laughs> a more European palate. Oh, you're so polite. You are so, so polite. I have removed all of that dumb mm. down completely. Um, you won't find any translations in my book. If it's chortle, I've called it chortle mm-hmm. instead of saying pulled beef. Yeah. Um, if it's ding, I'll call it ding. I won't say fermented sorghum. Um, I could have. It's also why there's no translation on the cover. I want us, um, well, I'm hoping that we create a pride in our cuisine mm. to a point where people will respect the title of something and know where it comes from without us having to dumb it down um, per se, mm. without us needing to explain, no, this is what it is and this is why we call it what it is. I mean, you don't ask for translation of bir- bir- uh, biryani. Yeah. 
tongue twisting, but you know biryani. Yeah. I mean, you don't ask for translations for tacos, but you know tacos. Mm, Why mm. then do we have to go and retranslate and change the wording of our food? So I've avoided that completely in the book. Have you found it difficult as a person of color coming into a space that's traditionally been filled by very, has been a very white space? Um, not really. Um, I think it's that confidence that I saw the gap because I'm literally the customer of my own book. Mm. I wrote the book for someone like me. So I knew that people out there like me who want a book like this. And that is who I've targeted totally. I haven't tried to target the, the market that is there already mm. because I'm not trying to, to sell myself to that market. I'm trying to sell myself to people who are like me. And if the, people who are already in the market recognize and want to be part of it then well good enough but um it's about being positive about who we are as a people yeah and um going back to your previous question about dumbing things down we have tended to be apologetic about um, what we love um we're apologetic about the the way we were raised and Mm -hmm. we see our food as very humble whereas it can be a huge market it shouldn't be something only eaten on a Sunday. It shouldn't be something we drive to over the weekend. It should be food that people come from overseas for, that people travel all the way to South Africa to come and sample. There was a, a, a couple of months ago, um, Mohao Sashweni was down here for oh. um, doing her book launch, and she was she was so gracious and asked me to be in conversation with her. And we were talking about, about the, that, that very issue. Um, and about a week after she left and went back to Joburg, in the book lounge that the... the the uh, the local sort of independent bookshop bookstore mm. in the top ten were I think five chefs cooks I never know what the appropriate term is of color I think there was you I think there was okay. um I think there was uh, Ming Cha Lin who was also there um and it was just phenomenal and I had I rather proudly um took on a phrase which I called decolonizing the kitchen yes and which which has been controversial to say to say the very least uh, and they'd put hashtag decolonize the kitchen but and I and I meant it very tongue-in-cheek wow. I meant it very tongue-in-cheek at the time okay um but also I think there's a great deal of of power in that in that the, mm. the authors who were on those shelves were cooking and are cooking and in their cookbooks you see authentic wherever you may be from mm-hmm. cuisine um and i think that's hugely important it is it is and um i love the the generation that is coming now of young chefs who are also coming up and they're seeing these examples they realize that it is it's actually possible whereas um we didn't have those examples i mean i studied a french fine dining qualification yeah I do all the la-di-da stuff on the side, and that's what I'm qualified in. But we we are not taught that our food can actually be put on the same level as French fine dining. Um, on Friday last week, I went back to the school I studied my chef mm. diploma, um, and they took the book, um, the book, and they took recipes from them. They made a five-course meal. And this was 10 years ago when I studied there, and I was looking at the contrast now. Now they have an example of we can actually take our own cuisine and make it all lardy down a mm. plate. It was something that I never thought was possible. And that is what I'm appreciating right now about the things that happen. And they're buying these books. I mean, mine is a bestseller. You yeah. wouldn't have said that about a cookbook written about food from Soweto yeah. that would become a bestseller one day. So it's been, it's been a fascinating ride and watching people appreciate it is, is something beautiful to see. What's your favorite thing to cook? And is it ah, in the, no, is it in the, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but is, is, is your favorite thing to cook in the, um, in do you the know why I'm going, ah, because I never truly know how to answer that thing. Yeah. Um, that question, uh, 
I love cooking, and it depends on the the day and the mood. Because hmm. in winter, I love baking because okay. it's warming, and I love being in the kitchen. And you release your stre- stress needing that um, bread. You picture someone's face, and you're like, "Yeah, okay, I'm letting it out of my mind." But I love oxtail stew as well because my mom loved it. Um, my favorite thing to cook, though. You've answered the question. Hmm, did I? Yeah. I'm, a roundabout I'm, way. No, I meant it broadly. I didn't mean <laughs> you have to specify and then give me a okay, list of ingredients. Okay. No, a hundred percent. It always stumps me. If you want to stump me, ask me that question. Yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, uh, you, you answered the question. <laughs> um, when, when you think about people in their homes with your book, cooking, uh, what kind, that's got to be a great feeling. It is. And the other thing that I love is the guys as well buying cookbooks. People tagging me on Twitter saying, I bought your book for the first time. I bought a cookbook. Mm. So it's a whole new world for guys actually getting in the kitchen and cooking. And that's what I've also tried with this book to show them, look, even a guy can cook this. You can make it. It is it's surreal actually. Um, knowing people are actually going into what's something that you wrote out of your mind and making it in their own kitchens. And now with the the world of social media, they're tagging on photos and yeah, it's nice, some eh? of it, it, it's very nice and it's something, it's very heartwarming and people getting their kids involved in making some of the recipes as well. So the longevity of having a book is something I never actually thought of when I, I wrote it. But then when you sit and you realize that, I mean, this thing can be passed down generations and it lives on after you are gone. To use a food analogy, I'm quite proud of myself. What uh, I shouldn't be to use the food analogy. What other f- what fingers do you have in other pies? Because you you're all over the place. You do a bit of Top Chef. You do a bit of this, that, and the other. What else? Where else? You team up with? I wish my finger was in a pie on a holiday far away. Do you? Do you? I need Are one you ready so for bad. a break? I'm so ready for a break. I didn't realize how much work is behind putting a book together. I thought the writing was the hard part. Then. Yeah, the it's quite a shock, isn't it? The stuff that comes after. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I respect you author so much now. <laughs> Whenever I see an author, I'm like, yeah, I know. Well done. And we're it looking is. tired and drained, <sighs> close to tears. And then you, you go sit in front of panels of people and you store, you put on a cheerful show. Um, there are two TV shows coming up this year. Oh. Um, I'm an exec producer on one. Um, there is also, uh, my, what do we call it? Sereto. Um, also they say it's Tagazelo. My family, um, I think it's a mantra, I think mm. they call it. Um, mentions how the Semenyas are from the Maasai warriors and we were nomads and we came mm. down from, um, the Maasai Mara. I want to do a back trip, um, but a, oh, yes. a culinary back trip back up to the Maasai Mara and a road trip and show that and show the cuisine along the way. Beautiful. Um, hopefully that will be the, Anyway, let me not give away too much, shall we? No, do. Give away everything. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us all, because we all want to know what's happening. What about restaurants and things and, and cooking lines? And uh, um, will I be able to whisk something with a lesejos menu whisk one day and put it into my nice crockery and go, oh, it's lesejo, did you know? <laughs> Is that in the plan? Like, are you into all of that stuff? I am, actually, but... Uh it's so much work, and I'm only one person. But I have been researching those things. Um, I have, I don't like wearing those tall chef hats. Um, I don't like that look. No. So I wear um, pea caps. Okay. And people keep taking them from me. So I had a range of those. Those um, have become a sensation. I didn't think they would be. So people buy those now. 
um, my aprons as well. I design a new apron every month when I have cooking classes and uh, unique to each class and people ask for them. So we're merchandising that as well. Um, Will you be bringing your cooking classes Oh. To the carp. <laughs> yeah, the carp, the carp. <laughs> I've been asked to. Um, it is a logistical nightmare. Mm. Um, but I'd like to. There is an audience down here that I'd love to, to get to know because yeah. I, I know, um, the audience up there and I know Joburg in and out. I'd love to come down if, um, if people would have me here. They won't. You think so? Yeah. Would you be there? I'd have to be there. <laughs> I'd have to be there. But yeah, I Teach would be there. Teach you a thing or two. Yeah, just so, just a, just something, a little something. No. Because my, here's another story. My dad also used to be a chef. Oh right? wow! Yeah. You're just surrounded by yeah. chefs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to be a chef, and he's so appalled oh. by the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to be the chef, of the head chef of the Balalaika yeah, Hotel. Yeah, Nadia was telling me earlier. Yeah. Ah, and the Balalaikas. Right there in Santon. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so I, the, I'd like maybe to. Maybe it's your fingertip, the talent, and you're just not just need tapping into it. You need to break, break it out. out. <laughs> I'm trying. I've tried. I've tried, and I've nearly killed people. And, and oh, for no, that it reason, can't be that bad. For that reason, I'm not sure. Um, tell me what the last thing that you was. Last thing. L- tell me what the last thing was that you learned about food. In any, however you wish to take that question. The last thing that I learned about food. Wow. It'll probably be last week. I was in Kenya. We were representing South Africa on a cultural tour there. Mm -hmm. And when we were there, I tried to sample the local cuisine. And I realized how similar that food is to to our food. Mm. And that actually shows how that nomadic culture that started in the Horn of Africa and came down south, it began there. And um, I learned so much about the origins of why we cook food a certain way. Um, they call goat mbuzi. We also call it mbuzi mm. down here. Um, and the way they cook it as well is, it was fascinating to see. And to also see how how we are linked as a continent of people, regionally and um, cuisine-wise. And I learned quite a bit on that. And that is why I want to do the, the trip back, going through country by country. Because mm. we don't document that stuff. And um, they call goat mbuzi. We also call it mbuzi mm. down here. Um, and the way they cook it as well is, it was fascinating to see. And to also see how how we are linked as a continent of people, regionally and um, cuisine-wise. And I learned quite a bit on that. And that is why I want to do the, the trip back, going through country by country. Because mm. we don't document that stuff. And that is how we learn more about each other and also celebrate instead of all that xenophobia stuff. I want to show the um, similarities between our people. Beautiful. This has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank, Thank you so you. much. That went by quick. I'm excited. <laughs> Did it? Wow. That was a whole half an hour Jeez. of chat yeah. about food well, and you're life. A good time. We are. <laughs> having a good time. This has been fantastic. I wish you all the very best. Thank I'm looking so forward to book for number two. Me. No Excuse pressure. Me? Book number two. <laughs> Just call me Nadia. Wow. Did she send you? <laughs> <laughs> she might have done. I can't say. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Uh, please come back and see us the next time you're in Cape Town. I'll be in Cape Town a lot more. Um, you probably will see me a lot and get annoyed with me. Thank you for having me.